The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds called Spock Amok. I'm sorry, I'm going to rhyme it. This is the way it's going to be. If you're going to do it, I'm going to rhyme it. I'm Dom Bettinelli. <laughs> Whereas technically it should be Spock Amok. It should be, yep. yes. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel, as you've heard, are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Folks, be sure to stick around to the very end because we've got some great feedback from listeners on our previous episodes. And I want to tell you to get your very own Secrets of Star Trek t-shirt uh, featuring the three of us in the Enterprise by visiting sqpn.com slash merch, M-E-R-C-H. You get t-shirts and phone cases and stickers and all kinds of things uh, at that link. So go definitely check it out. Also, be sure to check out the Father Corey collection. Just just want to let you know. Oh, there's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a Jimmy collection, too, that I made, but uh, so definitely check those I out. Haven't been aware of this. So. <laughs> yeah. It's basically all the, de the designs with that with that have each of you on them in one place, so you can yep. get you can get a whole set at once. Mm. Uh, I also want to tell you about another show on the network you're sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Star Wars at sqpn.com/slash/starwars or wherever fine podcasts are found. So, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of Spock Amok? This week, it's Vulcan Freaky Friday on Strange New World. <laughs> so our Let's Meet the Crew of the Enterprise episode focuses on Spock. Having survived its encounter with the Gorn, the Enterprise is at Starbase One for repairs, and Spock's fiancée, Pring, has come to meet him. But their relationship has hit a rocky patch because they're both concerned that he's too human and doesn't prioritize Vulcan stuff enough to make this work. They try a soul-sharing mind meld to understand each other better, but it goes wrong and they accidentally do a body swap. Hijinks ensue because they have to pretend to be each other. And we have our first comedy episode of a live-action Star Trek in a long time. Uh, T'Pring has to pretend to be Spock in a delicate negotiation situation with a new Zelig-like race of aliens that insist on talking only to him, while Spock has to be uh, pretend to be T'Pring in a delicate negotiation situation with a logicless Vulcan who she's trying to capture for rehabilitation and who insists on talking only to her. Meanwhile, Number One and La'an try to understand the crew better by playing the Lower Decks rule-breaking game Enterprise Bingo. In the end, Pike helps T'Pring succeed in his negotiations, and Nurse Chapel helps Spock succeed in his negotiations with the Vulcan criminal, which is accomplished by Spock punching him out. Um, Pike also succeeds in forging an alliance with the aliens by showing that he can understand their viewpoint and all the reasons they might not want to ally with the Federation. Dr. Mbenga and Nurse Chapel eventually get Spock and T'Pring's Katras back in their right bodies, and as a result of their experience, they now understand each other better and decide to stay together, at least for now. Oh. The end. <laughs> yeah, we know where that relationship is <laughs> going. So uh, let's start with it at the top. We have this dream sequence that Spock has of the wedding ceremony. And it's a lot of fun because we're going back to a mock time, the original series episode in which Spock 
wedding goes awry in almost the same way, <laughs> frankly, which is kind of an interesting prediction for this Spock 10 years earlier. And uh, he he has to fight himself, though, instead of Kirk. Yeah. So here um, to bring challenges and insists on ritual combat and and here Spock has turned into a human and as her challenger, as her champion, she picks a Vulcan version of Spock. And so they fight. Right. Whereas in Amok Time, um, she chooses Kirk, a human, to fight the Vulcan Spock. So we have the same kind of Vulcan versus human combat going on in both episodes. I, I liked that they brought back the fight music mm-hmm. from the original, mm-hmm. you know, da, 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 da. Yes. Uh, that was nice. That was fun. Um, also, I liked, although they don't make a big deal out of it, but as they're lashing at each other with their weapons, which are called lirpas, they have a blade on one end and a club on the other. Um, but as Vulcan Spock lashes at human Spock, you if you look carefully, because it goes by quickly, human Spock bleeds red instead mm-hmm. of green mm-hmm. and that's a nice touch in the same place um, that kirk by the way gets cut it's like the same yes, cut on kirk the, yeah. like the stomach mm-hmm. yeah yeah and 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 what i so i liked all that about the scene what i didn't like about the scene it's our it's our opening scene and as soon as human spock is revealed it's like we're in a dream right and yep. and and we're not even halfway through this sequence yet it goes on way longer. And once you've revealed the value of dreams in television like this is um, you 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 want the audience, go, you know, thinking things are normal and then you want them to have a something is wrong here moment. Mm-hmm. And then you want to you don't want to linger in the dream. You want to get out once the audience has realized we're watching a dream because they know nothing is of consequence is going to really happen. If yeah. if the dream is being played for drama, uh, as opposed to like communicate a prophecy or something, um, but once you've realized, once the audience has realized we're in a dream, you don't want to linger in it too long. And here, I th- we get we have to watch this fight sequence, and and it I think this would work better for me on second viewing, knowing this is a comedy episode. Mm-hmm. But this is the first scene. I don't know that this is a comedy episode yet. And so I'm thinking through a dramatic lens in terms of how to analyze this scene and through a dramatic lens, you don't want to stay in a dream very long. And I just thought it went on for too long from that, you know, at least not knowing that this is com- meant for comedy. It, um, it, it seemed to be too long from a dramatic perspective. Well, it was, it was clear that they, they, they went as long as they did because they wanted to do the callback to the original Mock Time episode. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yeah. and it really, yeah. and, you know, as I've said before, I haven't seen a lot of TOS. I have not seen that episode yet. Uh-huh. We'll get to it eventually. So, you know, it, it, it I knew the music, you know, because it, it is one of those things that's in Star Trek lore is, is the music and the fight scene is a bit right. as well. So that that all was was familiar to me, but it, I mean, it was clear that this was meant to be. You know, we're calling back to that original episode, and that's why they they hung it on as long as they did. But changing the characters that are involved in it. I also think the the title was 
a, a misdirect. I mean, I as soon as I saw mm-hmm. last time Spock Amok, I'm like, oh, are we doing Ponfar already? I mean, that's just would that not, not upset the continuity? And and then they show this wedding scene right up front, and you're like, oh, they're what are we doing? This is out of sequence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they misdirect, and so Spock Amok is not about the Ponfar. It is about you know Spock is to bring and to bring is Spock running amok. Yeah, the yeah. hijinks that he does not like, and <laughs> yeah. and this is this is an interesting and risky move on the part of the producers because uh, Amok Time is is serious, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. one of the it's one of the con- considered best of the original series episodes. It's very emotional. At the end of it, when Spock realizes he has not killed Captain Kirk, mm-hmm. uh, which he thought he had, um, he's like. Jim, and it's the first genuine, you know, overt expression of emotion we've ever gotten mm-hmm. from Spock, right? And um, and and so to take something that revered and that dramatic and play it for comedy is an interesting decision, and it's a risky one, but I think it worked. I do too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and by the way, Jimmy, spoilers. Come on, man. Fifty year old episode, fifty yeah. plus year old episode. <laughs> Sorry, Father Corey. Uh, so uh, I have to say about Tapring, I like this Tapring much more than I like the original. Who only got a very little screen screen time, of course. But I really, yeah. I really like this Tapring, even if she is going to break Spock's Vulcan heart eventually. I, I I like the character. I think she's interesting and fun, mm-hmm. uh, especially how they play her as this actress has to pretend to be Spock into Pring's body. I just I, I enjoyed that. Yep. Mm-hmm. The um, this version of Jepring is less ruthless yeah. than the original. Mm-hmm. She's trying to work with Spock. In fact, she even made the proposal of marriage to him. Yes. Right. Yes. And so she's and like you said, she's come to sort of. Uh, spend time with him because he's his duties have taken him away from her, and so she's working to mm-hmm. to to make that yeah. that connection. Um, I do like, by the way, we wondered last time, are we going to just go from the Gorn basically <laughs> trashing the Enterprise yep. to the Enterprise being whole for the next episode? And they didn't do that. They they took her back to Starbase One so that she could be repaired. The Enterprise was was whole for the next episode, but that was because it was after repairs. Repairs yeah. had been finished. Yeah. yeah. Also, uh, we have another ongoing character arc that's spanning multiple episodes. So mm-hmm. we we even though we don't have a season arc in terms of one coherent plot um, or incoherent plot like Discovery, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we we they are having character development over the course of the series, which mm-hmm. is nice. Also, regarding to Pring and Spock's relationship, there is this it it is not emotionless or passionless. It's restrained mm-hmm. emotion and passion. And I I mm-hmm. think that's been the key to effective Vulcans throughout Star Trek is recognizing that Vulcans are not emotionless. Like right. like what Nimoy didn't never portray them as emotionless in the original series, just restrained, just tamped down, just calm, you know, <laughs> not yeah. not this other stuff. They're not they're not meat da- data datas, yeah. meat datas, you know, where they're they're just like data, emotionless and just by the facts, by the logic. No, they, they have emotion and they show emotion just very right. differently. Even data showed emotion, because if you don't have emotion, you don't get out of bed in the morning because you don't care about anything. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The the whole shtick about data being emotionless is it kind of it. It was kind of um. 
he may not feel yeah. emotion, but he's programmed to act as if he does. Yeah. Right? At least to a certain level. There you go. Um, one thing that I thought in this episode is that the Vulcan dialogue delivery between Spock and T'Pring, especially before the body swap, is too brisk and snippy with each mm. other. I, mm. And I don't know if that's because of the direction that the actors were given or if it was the actors' choices or if it was even to some extent in the writing. But they're like being really snippy and passive-aggressive with each other, and the dialogue is going by faster than I thought mm. it should. I thought the classic Leonard Nimoy Vulcan ethos would have been to slow this down a little bit and not have it be as as passive-aggressive snippy with each other. I I wondered if some of the way they're playing the Ethan Peck Spock is because he's younger. I mean, not mm. it's 10 years younger, but still that he's younger and not as experienced and uh, as later Spock will be. Uh, so, but I, I get what you're saying though. There was, it was very quippy in back and forth between T'Pring and Spock. It was interesting, interesting to see. And he was clearly nervous uh, in the, in that, waiting for her to come. And again, I felt mm -hmm. like that, that might've been a choice to show him as younger and less experienced. So to job is to rehabilitate Vulcan criminals. Is that really, I, mm -hmm. I, I, I yep. gathered she's a, she's a Vulcan logic bounty hunter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, are they criminals because they've forgone logic or as criminals, they have forgone logic. I couldn't, I didn't get that. I was thinking it's kind of a combination of both that they were criminals, but part of being they were criminals because they had forgone logic. Okay. You know? yeah, yeah, I don't know that you have to have made a conscious break with logic, which means you're uh, um, the term for it is v yeah, what is it? Um, Vatoshkater, Vulcans right. Without Logic, um, right. who we met in Enterprise and presumably Cybok was one of those. I don't get the impression or I didn't get the impression that her job is to track down and stamp out those people, but to deal with criminals who have in one way or another deviated from the path of logic. And she's going mm -hmm. to show them the correct path again to rehabilitate them like that, uh, like that uh, Vulcan in Deep Space Nine in the episode Field of Fire, where he had a transporter gun and was shoot was he was a serial killer. He was a mass shooter of mm -hmm. people on the station. And I forget if this line is actually in the episode or if it's just so perfect that it needs to be in the episode. But like when Esri has tracked down the killer and asks him why I have this image in my mind of the killer saying it was logical. You know, I think <laughs> I remember think it that. Was. Yeah, it was logical. Yeah, I think it yeah. was. That's, yeah. that's the perfect line. And I can never tell if it, I, I'd have to go back and check, but it needs to be there if it's not, yeah. because mm -hmm. that's of course for a typical Vulcan, that's going to be the rationalization for any crime is they're going to have some tortured logical reason why this was the correct thing to do. Mm. And so I would imagine, you know, to Pring, like being able to work with that guy, he was not Vitash Couture, but he had strayed from the path of true logic in leading right. him to become a mass murderer. And now she's going to help him understand what the error of his reasoning was. She's almost like a like a U.S. Marshal, a Vulcan Marshal sort of thing. <laughs> He's going to check every outhouse, doghouse, or you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from the fugitive. Um, 
one thing I want to I want to mention here is the trend with all of these episodes. This is sort of a little bit out of, of sequence, but of have these teasers, the before credit sequences. There's not even one scene. It's almost like a fifth act of every episode. Mm-hmm. They, they, these are mm-hmm. basically five act episodes um, that they have this whole act of a bunch of scenes before the, the credits roll. I just think that's an interesting idea that they've split this because because uh, in usual TV land, an hour long episode is is four acts, a teaser and then four 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 acts with commercial breaks in between the acts. Uh, mm-hmm. But they're going with uh, five of them here. I just thought mm-hmm. that's an interesting structure. And and Next Generation did that for a while, too. Um, they would have five-act structures, but, and then they would, like, shift and say, okay, now we're, we're now doing four-act structures. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's something that's not unprecedented in Star Trek history. Well, it, it's something that you see a lot more with streaming services where uh, they will have, you know, sometimes as long as even a 10-minute first act before mm-hmm. Because I, I can't remember, wasn't there a Discovery episode where they did that? Well, this one was Something like ten like minutes. It was I think I looked. It was like ten or eleven minutes before they got to the credits. Yeah, and it's it's that's that's something they're they're, and it's I will say I give them credit for that. They're willing to play with the the the, the stereotypical television structure, right? Show structure because of what streaming can do. Because of course, part of the reason why you have the short teaser and then the the uh, opening credits is because tv says then you must have a commercial after you know five minutes of the show starting or whatever right right and you got to draw people in who've been watching the previous episode the previous show that was on airing and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff yeah well in terms of the so in terms of the body swap mm-hmm. that they do people may who are newer to star trek may be going body swap really that's kind of isn't that kind of cheesy and well that's a subjective judgment but it been done before mm-hmm. on yes. on star trek um and in particular one of the things that the vulcan ritual they do reminded me of was the emerge the right of the trill right of emergence mm-hmm. that we got to see in deep space nine where as part of understanding her development as a conjoined trill jadzia's uses a ritual to have her previous personalities one reemerge one at a time and inhabit the bodies of her friends so she yep. can interact with her previous selves and learn from them in a different way and that's a that's a body swap of a sort mm-hmm. anyway um mm-hmm. because you've got you know one of Jadzia's previous feminine personalities in <laughs> quark much to his yeah. discomfort <laughs> yeah. um Another more direct parallel, though, is the final episode of the original series. It's called Turnabout Intruder, Mm -hmm. and it is a body swap episode where a woman named Janet Lester uses an alien device to do a body swap with Captain Kirk. So you've got William Shatner playing a woman in Kirk's body, and you've got the lady actor, whose name I forget, playing Kirk in her body. Yeah. And and that that it's some very interesting, you know, performances. And we get some of that here where you have the T'Pring personality being played by Ethan Peck and vice versa. And um, it leads it, it, it leads to some nice stuff on the dialogue level, like when Pike bursts into or it doesn't burst in, but interrupts Spock into praying as after they've spent four hours trying to switch back mm-hmm. with mm. different rituals. Um, and, and Pike shows up, uh, to Pring, well, Spock into Pring's body is, uh, saying to, 
to Pike, oh, you must speak with Spock, who is right here. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and it's just a little, it's it's quirky, and, and that's fun. Another thing I thought was fun in this scene is when when they're saying the ritual in Vulcan, we get a confirmation of something that that makes a lot of sense to me. Spock is just the English pronunciation of his name. Really, mm. it's Spock We're right. with the guttural sound, which we don't mm. use in, in standard English, although it is in uh, Scottish English, if you ever want to go to Loch Ness or Loch Lomond. Yep. That's how um, right. Tapau pronounces it, I think, in the original Mock Time. Yeah. I think so, yeah, yeah. but it, it makes a lot of sense, and so I appreciate that. I got a kick out of the, uh, that we're, when Pike comes in, where... Spock and Pring's body keeps wanting to call him Captain and yeah. hesitates to call him Chris and vice versa. Pring keeps wanting to call him Chris instead of Captain. It, and uh, Ethan Peck holds his hands like Pring was. And yeah, there's all the, the subtle body uh, bodily cues. Um, there is a thing where like before Pike comes in, um, they decide they have to pretend to be each other. And Pring says, I do not like hijinks. Neither do I, but it appears that hijinks are the most logical course of action. <laughs> what a great line. <laughs> that was such fun. We, I want to backtrack, though, because there's some important yeah. scenes that happened before that. So we have these Rungovians uh, that, that um, Admiral um, April wants Pike mm -hmm. to negotiate a treaty for transit rights. They're, that's a strategic location between the Romulans and the Klingons and the Federation, etc. And I... One of the things I was thinking about is, you know, in Star Trek, it's often, not always, but often Starfleet doing diplomacy, not civilians. And mm -hmm. I can see mm -hmm. doing it out on the frontier, the you know, a Starfleet captain being empowered to on the frontier. But they're at Starbase One. You presume that Star, the Federation diplomatic corps has people nearby. So why is it Pike? We even see some of them in the original series, which is set in the same general time frame. Like, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. In there, there's the commissioner in Metamorphosis. There's the lady commissioner from Father's Father Know Best, right? Uh, Father Knows Best, who um, is there and eventually decides to set up housekeeping with a cloud. Mm. Um, <laughs> yes. And there's also in the overpopulated planet episode, there's another commissioner who's butting his nose in. So you have these diplomatic commissioners. Who who are apparently civilians? They're not wearing Starfleet uniforms in the original series, and you would kind of expect that here too. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really make sense that that here at Starbase One, right. a captain who is not even normally in residence here right. would would be negotiating this. I guess you could try to explain that by the fact the Tellarites already have tried negotiating with them, and it didn't work. Right. right, there was this combative. The 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 Rogovians appear to be very combative and not like it. And then they show up, and then they're they're different. And I'm th I was thinking, oh, so th are they empaths? Is that they pick mm -hmm. up the emotional state of the people they're with? But it turns out they don't do that either. It's it's interesting. Yeah, yeah they're just the, mimics. The 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 which is why I said they're like Zelig. Yeah. Um, for mm -hmm. people who may not be aware, Zelig was a movie by Woody Allen about a man named Leonard Zelig, who so wanted to fit in with other people that he would adapt himself to whoever he was around. Right. And so it like it was at once it, it started when he was in a conversation with some people who had read Moby Dick and he was ashamed to acknowledge he'd never read Moby Dick and he wanted to fit in. So he pretended 
that he had read Moby Dick. And it kind of took off from there to the point that if he's standing around with with um, with doctors, he becomes a doctor. If he's standing around with bricklayers, he becomes a bricklayer. He'll just fit in with whoever he's with (laughs) and try to pass himself off as like one of them. And that's essentially what the Rongovians are doing. They are doing some kind of empathic thing where they've decided to relate to each other, at least in in a negotiation negotiating situation. You become like the other person. And so they became like the Tellarites. And we're aggressive and rude to them. When Pike is nice to them, they become nice and friendly. Um, mm-hmm. And and then later, when they are negotiating with Spock, they become cold and logical. And they they explain it in the episode that it's it's actually a negotiating trick that the ambassador is changing his personality or how he presents his personality differently depending on who he because you see that when he when the ambassador first comes in he's he's rough and aggressive and as soon as pike is nice him oh i would have made an earth delicacy for you then he's like oh it's wonderful to meet you captain and and on and on from there you know so it's it's not like it's a you know a telepathy type of thing it's more he's reading the personality of the person he's dealing with he's cold and that's part of the yeah. yeah and so and that they they even they even threw I I missed it the first time I watched I watched the episode twice and I missed it the first time where the, the the ambassador says Rangovians are a deeply or you know or not deeply but we have you know are known for our empathy mm-hmm. yeah and that the import that's the key right there is saying it's not empathic it's they want to be understood from their point of view and they seek to uh, understand others from their point of view. And Pike didn't seem to do that to them, apparently. He was nice to them, but he didn't deeply enter into their perspective on their first encounter. Right. Until the very end where he goes, you know, there's no reason why you should join the Federation. In fact, it would make it worse for you. And then the ambassador's like, "Okay, we got it. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, that's that's the issue. In fact, there's a there. Their negotiations, their diplomacy is actually very sophisticated. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, they have these tactics. They show up early, unexpectedly. They do this, the mimicking. Um, it is, yeah, it's, it turns out they're not these combative, unsophisticated people. They're actually quite sophisticated in their tactics. Mm-hmm. By the way, also, so Ethan, um, uh, Anson Mount and his hair, again, do a great job in this episode. <laughs> um, but... We also get to visually, we get to see the return of the green captain's relaxed shirt. Yeah. Yes. Because that was something they introduced with uh, with William Shatner back in the original series. He wasn't always in the gold pullover. He also had Mm -hmm. this kind of green wraparound thing. And they have a new version of that for Pike, which in keeping with the modern aesthetic they've been pursuing with uniforms, it's 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 not just a piece of cloth the way the original shirts were it's it's a little more stylized it's got some kind of i don't know what you call it but like leather right. patches that are also green yeah um they're leather striping and and so it's a little more formal but it's still the green captain's relaxed shirt from the original series <laughs> well, and, and unlike uh when kirk would wear it he had uh pike is wearing like an undershirt he's got like a black t-shirt underneath mm-hmm. yeah I'm curious if Shatner was behind that. I wonder if anyone has ever asked him about that. So mm-hmm. we have the the secondary plot is shore leave for the crew. Uh, you know, the crew is all getting the, you know, the ability. They were on Starbase One, which has all these environments that you can go to, including like a forest and that sort of thing. And so we have uh, a scene of Chapel, Ortegas, and Mbenga going on shore leave, heading to the transporter room. Mbenga is going, he says he's going fly fishing. 
He is not fly fishing. He, that's not fly fishing. It's, he does not have the setup fly fish for fly fishing. And this is something I, I have to call out because I live in an area that has lots of fly fishing. Yeah. I've not done it, but I know many people who do. His his rod is not set up for fly fishing. He's got lures, not flies. Yeah. Sorry. So you what's, know, I, what's, I have to, what's the difference between a lure and a fly? So a lure is. Um, it's a big plastic. You see hump. where it's <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, a, a lure, lure is, you know, it might look like a worm. It might look like a, you know. Um, a small fish. You know, yeah. a small fish or yeah. something like that. A fly literally looks like a fly. It's and tiny. And the purpose of it is, yeah, yeah it's tiny. It's, it's usually like a little, got. It's like a little knot of thread that's kind of thread, been cut feather. on, put on, put on a needle. The idea yep. is. Yeah, it's basically. E- it's extremely light. When, mm-hmm. when you're fly fishing, it's the weight of the line that casts, that brings, yes. that throws the fly out. Uh, and the movement of the of the rod in the line is designed to mimic a fly on the surface of the water. Whereas a right. lure you- is about the weight of the lure is what draws it out. And lures are underwater. They they and yeah. they mimic the, the movement of fish or w- worms, worms or, or, or right yeah. or even bugs underwater. And that's that's it- a primary difference. If you ever watch someone who's really good at fly fishing, they can take that fly that fly and have it hit the same spot of water every time, yeah, or real close to it, because it's supposed to mimic a fly literally landing on the water mm-hmm. versus a lure. Again, it wants to go under, and you kind of play with it to wiggle yeah. it around. And I can see why fish would want to play with lures. I mean, as a boy, I, I had fly, I had lures of, <laughs> of plastic worms. I love playing with those plastic worms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are fun. Just not the ones with the with the hooks in them already. Anyway, yeah, so yeah. he had a, a bait casting reel and, what you know, someone needs to take the the, the Star Trek writers uh, fishing and get, show them what for. Uh, but, but, you know, he got he got paid up for that because he made the mistake of mentioning the nickname. Yes, right. The transporter room uh, where uh, number one and La'an are seeing off the crew and, you know, they're saying, oh, we're not going on shore leave. We're staying behind. And Mabega kind of absentmindedly says, oh, hence the nickname. And Una says, what nickname? And forces him to say, where fun goes to die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, Ortegas is the one who. Uh, oh, yeah. Who, who. Because Mbenga is too uncomfortable to say it. And so Ortegas finally says, oh, it's the ensigns, you know, call you where fun goes to die. But, you know, yeah. ensigns or yeoman. Yeoman. Um, yeah. What do they know? That's why they're yeoman. <laughs> I, I, I love I love Mbenga. He's like, oh, never mind. Uh, ensign Kyle or Chief Kyle. Let's go. Energize. He's like, no, no, wait, wait. <laughs> Belay that order. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then we have a scene of um, Ch- uh, Chapel and Ortegas in a bar on the Starbase, talking about this relationship that Chapel has with this other officer and how she's keeping it casual. She doesn't want anything serious. Um, and yeah, I, she's really not into commitment at this point. Well, I, no. at the end of the episode, she almost tells Ortegas why she doesn't want a serious relationship. And I'm wondering, is this a hint to maybe we're going to talk about Roger Corby from the original series? Uh, oh, that would be cool. And that's why she's because he left her and it was her fiance and she mm-hmm. maybe she's emotionally damaged from that. And that's why she's playing the field and doesn't want a commitment. Now, that I would, would be, be nice. interested. I, I'd hope they go there because right now, again, for someone who's not as familiar with TOS, I would say and you know maybe people who've never seen TOS at all would say, well, it's because she wants Spock. And they hinted she's flirted that. with him. They hint, they hint at that um, right. because at, she's previously flirted with him or at him. Mm-hmm. Um, in this episode, they have bonding over helping him with to praying in his love life. And then at the end, when Chapel is talking with Ortegas, 
or uh, she makes a con- or Tegas asks her a question about, well, would you ever consider, you know, this in the future? And she says, well, it'd have to be the right guy. And she pauses. Mm-hmm. And I think I think we're meant to understand from that that she's identified Spock as potentially the right guy. Right. right. And then when Ortegas presses like, who is this guy? She shuts it down and will not further discuss it. Mm-hmm. In the original series, in the, mm-hmm. uh, the original Amok Time, even. It is clear that Chapel kind of has a thing for Spock. Like, oh she, yeah, she has a soft spot for him. She brings him plumique soup when he's when she thinks he's not feeling well and that sort of thing. Uh, so it, it's yeah, clear it's, it's it's not just a soft spot. She is yeah. secretly in love with him. Right, right. Although I, I got a kick in this where you know Chapel's the one who's you know basically playing with guys you know she yeah. she doesn't want the serious relationship she just wants the fun but then when it starts getting serious she bails and then immediately goes and starts giving spock relationship advice <laughs> right mm-hmm. so bef- not the best example before this to gets mad at spock for standing her up for dinner because he gets called into these negotiations unexpectedly the ringovians had shown up unexpectedly and they they have this tiff that she, she does with spock about um a and we get to see the Vul- with the Vulcan food they didn't eat. Yes, yes, yeah. and uh, she she basically tell you know wonders at him if this relationship is going to work out, and she says uh, because he's you know he's we've all got to make sacrifices. He says for our duty, and she says a shared acceptance of mutual sacrifice is crucial to a successful relationship, and 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 then she walks out because he doesn't think she doesn't think that he's you know it's a mutual shared acceptance mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, I kind of like, is she being unreasonable? I mean, not necessarily, mm-hmm. but I, I think there's, I think there's room for criticism on both sides here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think he could have done a better job of like, okay, uh, Captain, can I take a moment and uh, let to bring know that I'm going to be late for dinner? Like, you know, just take a moment, yeah. step yeah. out. Yeah. Um, so. By the way, I wanted to mention the guy that, uh, that, um, Chapel is here to hook up with uh, Devers. He, yeah, or Deaver, or yeah. I don't know if it's Deaver or Deaver, Dever. but Dever. yeah, and I, they're pronouncing it weird because there is a real name. I mean, I growing up, I knew a family named Deaver, yeah, and they're pronouncing yeah. it different. Um, but he's on a ship called the Skylark, and that is a deep cut sci fi callback because back mm. in like the 19, I don't know, the 1930s earlier there was a famous uh set of sci-fi space opera stories some of the first space opera called skylark of space oh wow and so that had the reference to him being on the skylark is a wink to to sci-fi fans with a deep knowledge of the genre because skylark of space was one of the uh was one of the early classics of space opera so in the bar uh when after chaplain or take a I've uh, been talking chapel sees Spock alone and goes to talk to him. And he kind of reveals that he's been, he's having relationship troubles. And she says, um, you're very intelligent, but you're also very stupid. And Spock responds, I feel I should have seen that coming, <laughs> which, is, which is a nice moment. She gives him a smack upside the head. Um, and, and again, this is an earth gesture. I'm not familiar with <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> again, this, I, this Spock is younger and less experienced than the one we see in TOS, and it shows. I mean, his he's so tentative in this scene as well. Um, it it's kind of fun, and so we get this moment between Chapel and Spock, which is good. Um, we also get Laan and Una. On- oh, and and in that moment, also yep. 
Spock, uh, you know, Spock thanks her for the relationship advice. And she says, what are friends for? And he looks at her puzzled and what are friends for? And, (laughs) and, and, and she says, Spock, that was rhetorical. And he says, humans are almost as easy to tease as Vulcans. (laughs) That was cute. cute. I was deliberately pretending not to understand the phrase, what are friends for? (laughs) Uh, so let's talk about La'an and Una's subplot because this is a fun one. They, mm-hmm. after having been called uh, Where Fun Goes to Die, she's now offended at this idea, even though what's wrong with work? I prefer work to shore leave. Shore leave is such a waste. I, I enjoy work. I re- work relaxes me. And they're agreeing. And it's kind of funny because yeah. they're the two most uptight people so far on the show. And and I, I wanted to comment on that. Um, I've seen commentary from others of, of you know, wondering if Laon is too similar to number one mm-hmm. um, and because and they're kind of occupying the same general sort of character space, you know, in terms of their personality archetype. And I've I've seen I know one online commentator who's like, no, I, I'm here. I want to see number one. Laon is a distraction. You know, tell mm-hmm. me about number one. She's the one I've always been interested in. Laan is this new character and she's too similar and so forth. And that's a legitimate concern. At the same time, I've seen this kind of thing on other shows played to with a lot of success. Um, mm-hmm. There is a show called Community about a community college. And and one of the characters from season one forward is a, a, a girl named Annie who is perky and cheerful and super efficient. Mm-hmm. And then over the course of the next six seasons, we're still waiting on the movie because it's six seasons in a movie or die. <laughs> but over the course of the next six seasons, they had some some cast changes. And so in the last sixth season, they bring in a new character named Frankie, who is like an older version of Annie. She's 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 professional. She's efficient. She's cheerful and she's like an older Annie and they even hang a lantern on it when another one of the characters whose name is Abed and views everything that happens in his life as if it's a TV show um, right. he he tells Frankie shortly after she's introduced I'm concerned about your character I think you're too much in the same character space as Annie I don't know how to differentiate <laughs> and it's and it's messing with me and um, but what they do in community is they acknowledge the similarity of the two characters and they let them play off each other mm-hmm. so that you put them in the same space and make them interact. And that shows you what's similar and different about them. And they did the same thing on Deep Space Nine, where everybody is cranky, but um, Odo is the is a cranky alien loner. And then they mm-hmm. bring on Worf, who is a cranky alien loner. Yeah. <laughs> and and what they did was they shoved them into the same space and made them interact yeah. with each other and even had them bonding over what it's like to get rid of people who come to your door and want to <laughs> say hello and things like that. Um, and and so I think when you have two very similar characters, that is, uh, from a writing perspective, one of the best ways to deal with it is force yeah. them into the same situation and let them let them react to each other. And that's what they do with number one and Laon here. And I thought it was very successful. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, and they, they do show differences in the characters. Uno wants to just immerse herself in the work. She just wants to be undisturbed. Let me work and don't bother me. Laon wants likes the quiet. You know, she says, you know, there's no line for the replicators or the synthesizer or whatever that, you know, they yeah. call it then. Um, 
you know, no line for the synthesizers. And it's just the quiet hum of the warp drive. She likes the quiet. She likes the solitude. Mm-hmm. Una wants yeah. the time to work, you know, where she can be un- unbothered with her doing her duty rosters and stuff like that. I also like Laon's total honesty or is she's it's like almost like she's a member of that Romulan nun order with the mm-hmm. total candor um, yeah. where they're walking down the hall and and number one is saying, you know, as a senior officer, I don't get to really be a member of the crew anymore. And, you know, I don't get to hang out with them and stuff. And and Laon says, that's not because you're a senior officer. It's because you terrify people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then she goes, but that's good. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see, see, I, I'm, I'm with Laon, that, that, that quiet, you know, having that quiet where, you, you know, no one, you don't have to wait for anyone for food and you just kind of, you know, relax. I, I'm all for that. We can do this. It's the introvert uh, on the Enterprise. So they, in the yep. midst of the scene, they get an alert and they, they catch two ensigns trying to go out an air, airlock, uh, you know, without authorization. And they, uh, they, they want to interrogate them separately. And so, uh, Lon goes, bad cop. <laughs> and yeah, says, oh, darn it. <laughs> so she has to good cop them and they, bad cop. And so they get explanations out of them. And it is this funny scene of them, uh, interrogating them. And it turns out they're doing something called Enterprise Bingo, which was introduced in the episode where Uhura got pranked mm-hmm. by Ortega's to go to the you know, going to the captain's dinner in her dress Form, uniform and formal dress. And she said, consider it your first square on Enterprise Bingo. Right, right. Yep. Uh, and uh, so they were doing Enterprise Bingo and we're going to go sign the Scorch, which we get an explanation for later. Uh, they get their shore leave revoked and are assigned to help uh, Transporter Chief Kyle, who they react to so d- d- badly. <laughs> he was apparently a horrible person to work for, which is this funny yeah. guy who has seemed like a nice guy so far. I, I, I hope they build on that. Like they show us Kyle as being this nice guy and then everybody reacts to him as if he's this horrible person to work for. I, I want that to continue. That's kind of like Morn at DS9 where you couldn't shut him up. Yes. But he never said a word on screen. Yes. Yeah, that would that would be fun if they portray him as a monster. We just never see him being anything but nice. <laughs> and then Laan and Una discover the Enterprise bingo card in the, uh, the the ship's computer. And by the way, this is the most Catholic thing in Star Trek ever. OK, just oh, a, yes. a bingo in Star Trek. I just want to. It's not and it's not Although, really bingo. It's really just a checklist. It's like a scavenger yeah. hunt. Really? Yep. Yeah. Um, so we have the rules. The, the uh, Father Corey, you hopefully screenshotted it for us, but it's also yep. in Memory Alpha. Um, mm-hmm. And here, here's we see some of these. We use the transporter to reflavor gum, which so, is an awesome idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, phaser stun duel, which on wins. Uh, she she gets uh, uh, Una while she's not ready. Uh, Tur- yeah. Turbolift two floor shout challenge. What was that? Yeah, they both grab the controls in the you know those little handles in uh, in the in the turbo lift, and they shout out two different destinations. Yeah. So um, number one shouts out engineering, and Laan shouts out uh, bridge, and the turbo lift has to decide which order to obey based on who who spoke first or or loudest or something. Yeah. And the turbo lift decides to take them to engineering. So number one, number one won that one. Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh we don't see any except the last uh, the second to last one, the, the last two, but uh, yep. again, but the others are set the universal translated to Andorian. Yeah, I'm not sure what that I I guess what that means is any no language who. that's spoken to it, it will speak it in Andorian. It will translate it with Andorian instead of English or whatever yep. the person needs. Yeah. Uh yeah. 
the Gravity Boot Hang Challenge, whatever that mm-hmm. is, Medical Tricorder Challenge Vulcan Marsupial, mm-hmm. Food Replicator Challenge Durian Fruit. And I know exactly what that would be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So durians are a fruit from South... Um, uh, from Asia. Southeast Asia, yeah. and they look kind of like uh, a honeydew melon, except they're covered in spikes. And mm-hmm. you break open the, you use the spikes to get a seam between some of them, and then you break open the durian. And inside there are these banana-like structures. But whereas bananas smell good and like <laughs> bananas, <laughs> what's inside of a durian smells not like bananas, but like burning rubber. <laughs> and it's it's to westerners it, if you're not used to durians it is the it is it is amazing it is like there's the closest analogy to what this smells like is either burning rubber or or rotten socks <laughs> you know mm, um yum. but it's considered it's considered a delicacy yes um, yeah Considered a delicacy is code word for no one should eat this. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, people in Southeast I Asia who grew I, I mean, I've had durian candy. Yeah. Um, and wow, it's intense. Yeah. Um, but does it uh, taste good though? Does it taste good? Well, it has sugar in it, and it's kind of <laughs> like sugar and rotten socks. Oh, okay. Or burning rubber. <laughs> Sign me up. Sign me up. Yeah. So, <laughs> supposedly the the smell is so bad and it lingers so long that like hotels and restaurants will yeah. ban it yes <laughs> oh man <laughs> sneak some into the office microwave that's a, uh, a nice prank for you so that's that's basically what this is doing oh <laughs> i i had a bag of durian candy once with some catholic answers employees and and one of the one of my coworkers was wanting some candy and I said, well, I have this. And before I could explain it, <laughs> she oh. took a piece and stuck it in her mouth. And it's like, then her eyes get amazingly wide. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've done something like that to folks, but uh, that's a story for another day. Uh, so yeah. other things on the list, sneak a triple into the transporter buffer, which is, <laughs> uh, sit in the captain's chair, uh, EV suit challenge and unsanctioned spacewalk, which is what they caught those two ensigns doing. Yep. And then sign the scorch. By the way, the triple one might be a bit of um, breaking continuity because mm-hmm. they didn't know about triples yet, right? Triples only get no, discovered. No, no. Oh, we, they know. Yeah, they already know about triples. They they're in discovery before oh, they go into the future. The trouble with Edward. Short tracks. Yes, that yeah. very 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 funny episode. Um, that's true. Uh, then sign the scorch, which is uh, we fo- we'll find her at the end. That it's there's a deck there's a hull plate not deck plate hull plate it's the last original hull plate on the Enterprise that has a scorch mark on it from you know some battle or something like that that they have that if you, uh, you that people sign yeah it's never been repaired it's this and so it's become a tradition for people to go sign their names to it right and uh, th- there's a at one point Laan and Una kind of just they, they realize this isn't as fun as they thought it should be and part of it is because well they're the bosses like none of this stuff is out of uh, out of bounds for them because they make the rules and so they mm-hmm. they decide that they have to break the rules in order for it to really be fun and so they set up a, a force fields on the hull of the enterprise and walk out there without spacesuits to the scorch mark in a real rule breaking moment. It's I mean it's incredibly risky and dangerous. Uh but that sounds cool though. Yeah, it it does, sounds really cool. It does sound cool. <laughs> um the last time we saw someone walking without a spacesuit on the hull of the Enterprise was in uh Star Trek the motion picture, I think. Yeah. Without uh, a spacesuit? Yeah, at the end when they're at the center of V'ger 
and they're oh. walking to get you know oh, they, yeah, yeah. they walk onto the giant's causeway stuff yeah okay <laughs> um so that's and that's the pretty much una and laon's subplot mm-hmm. uh we talked about the rongovians would only talk to spock uh, and that's when uh, Spock into oh, Pring. Oh. By the way, I, I wanted yeah. to mention in terms of the rules. So we named oh, yeah. uh, eleven of the items that are on yeah. mm-hmm. Enterprise Bingo. There's more than that, apparently, because the instructions actually say you need to do ten of these without getting caught. Right, yes. right, right, right. Yeah, there's yeah, there's apparently more, uh, including whatever it was that uh, Uhura got caught on. <laughs> yeah, the, the prank or be you know wearing a the uniform you know, to the captain's a, dinner. Yeah, yeah dress uniform. I love, though, the first one they do, which is use transporter to reflavor gum. So what they what they have in that one is they've got um, Laan sitting in the medical transporter and she's chewing gum and she says, OK, the flavor has gone. And so um, so number one dematerializes her and rematerializes her and says flavor check. And Laan goes to chew in the gum again and says spearmint. <laughs> that was good. And so, kind of amazed. Yeah. So this is kind of the equivalent. This is a fun application of what we've otherwise seen as a serious application of like this person has been medically damaged. We've got to use the transporter to restore their DNA or something like yeah, that. And yeah. it's like, nope, we're just restoring flavor, flavoring to come. <laughs> so. uh yeah, so we have this uh, the the Rongovian subplot uh, where they'll only talk to Spock, and they do the right thing. Spock and Tupring, they tell Pike like they they could have mm-hmm. the writers could have dragged it out and had them pretend, but they tell Pike, who mm-hmm. takes it in stride remarkably well, <laughs> and basically says, he, "Okay, he knows he knows he's living in the Star Trek universe." <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> he says, "Okay." To bring, come with me. <laughs> and she's like, wait, wait. Boy, I love I love the line. I love the line of get out of town. Captain, we are not in a town. <laughs> We're not yeah. in a town. Yeah. <laughs> which which they use to clever effect in the teasers or in the trailers because it's the line is spoken by Ethan Peck. Yeah. So yep. it's like Spock saying, we are not in a town. But right. it's really to Pring. And that yep. explains why, because she's less familiar with human stuff, why she would say that line. Right. Yep. So to bring in Spock go agrees to go and pretend to be Spock for the negotiations. Meanwhile, to bring's colleague, who's supposed to be taking care of the uh, the the bounty that they're chasing, the the, the escape logic criminal, um, she calls to say that he is um, won't meet with anyone but to bring. And Spock tries to be- get out of it, but her, the colleague says, uh, "If not for us, who else will bring them back to the path of logic?" So you know that's the. It's another great line. I am not myself. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and that uh, whole if not for us thing. Oh, we have a little bit of a hero martyr complex going on, don't we? Mm-hmm. And so Spock, as to bring, goes to Chapel for more advice, who tells him to help to bring. This will help your relationship by doing her job for her and getting to know her better. And Spock says, this is coming dangerously close to hijinks, which is yeah. another <laughs> mention of hijinks. Uh, so it's interesting how Tupring's resentment of Spock's absence from Vulcan almost torpedoes the negotiations with the Rongovians. And because she kind of agrees with the Rongovians, like, you know, yeah, you shouldn't be, uh, you know, uh, leaving your, pl- your, your planet. And, and, and the yeah, the, the Federation is going to take you away from your home and that sort of thing. And Pike has to step in to remind her, speak to her directly as if she's Spock. 
extolling Spock about all the good that he does and the sacrifices he makes that benefits so many others and the logic of mm-hmm. of his duty. So it's kind of an interesting moment there for Pike. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we have uh, Spock asked to bring brings Chapel with him to meet the criminal. Uh, what was his name again? Um, Barjan to Or. Barjan to Or. He's a Vulcan with two names, apparently. And um, they meet with him. Well, they he, all have two names. They just never tell us what Spock's last name is. That's true. That's true. Uh, Smith. <laughs> um, yeah. Although he's maybe it's Holmes because he's a, it's one of his uh, uh, you know ancestors. Well, his mom admitted she could only pronounce the family name after a fashion. <laughs> right. Mm. Um. So they they go to meet the criminal who takes offense at to bring bringing Chapel along, and when he balks at surrendering now, Spock just knocks him out, just <laughs> hauls off and whacks him one. <laughs> uh, interesting. He doesn't. Well, it's interesting he doesn't do the neck pinch, but maybe as a Vulcan, he would have expe- the Vulcan might have expected that. Mm-hmm. But, but in any case, um, it's not perhaps the accepted protocol, but it's effective. And at the end, after they're back in their right bodies and Spock and T'Pring are laying in bed, he, he says, I should probably tell you that I struck Barjan to Orr. And she says, knowing him, it was logical. <laughs> <Right. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Spock does explain to T'Pring, you know, one of the reasons why he's so comfortable on the Enterprise, much more so than on Vulcan, is, you know, on the Enterprise, he's accepted for who he is. On Vulcan, he constantly has to prove himself as the half Vulcan, half human. And so, you know, the Enterprise feels more comfortable. racist Vulcans. Yeah, exactly. Uh, They really do. They really do portray throughout Star Trek portray the Vulcans as being kind of racist against <laughs> against everybody else. They're really kind of arrogant. I just have to put it that way. Um, T'Pring, on the other hand, reveals that she feared that Spock saw their relationship as a duty rather than something more. And so and, and that's why he was uh, not present more often and not present to her. So uh, they, they, there's some communication going on. The The body swap has been effective at some point. Of course, it effect, eventually it's not going to work out, but um, we get that here anyway. Uh, we have Pike doing the hunch uh, with his hunch that the Rongovians really want honesty in their negotiations. And if they're honest with them about how it may not be in their best interest to join, you know, to be part of the Federation or at least be in, uh, uh, in a treaty with them. Uh, he he gets, he thinks radical empathy is there is what they really value. And that's what we get to see. And as they fly off in their solar sail ship, flying the Federation flag, as is their custom. Um, and when they eventually get back to their planet in 50,000 years or something like that, because hmm. it's a solar <laughs> sail ship. That's not how solar sail ships work. Please, someone explain I, I, to Star Trek writers that solar sail ships cannot go interstellar distances. Well, they can, but it's going to take a long time. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm, I'm headcanning that they actually have their warp-capable ship just, you know, outside of the solar system or so, or outside of the, the, the orbit of the planet or something like that, where they can get there in, you know, a couple yeah. hours and, instead of... And April acknowledged that this is a, even by, that by the Rongovian standards, this is an ancient ship that they bring it out on ceremonial occasions. Yep. Right. It's kind of like the USS Constitution, perhaps, and they have another ship nearby to to uh, or maybe it has hidden warp engines or something like that. So when it's time to go. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's let's no, not do the solar ships anymore, please. 
And then um <laughs> and then we get to we we kind of finish up with the uh scenes of Una and Laon on the signing the scorch and Chapel and Ortegas at the end discussing relationships and uh and that's about it. Uh, although to Deaver's credit, um he apparently is a good, pretty good poet. He insisted on sharing his poetry with Chapel, which she she wasn't happy with, but she does say that uh, at least it was pretty good poetry. Hmm. And then she dumped him. And then she dumped him. Yep. Yeah. Because he wanted to get closer. Uh, and that's about it. Any last uh, thoughts? Any final thoughts on this, Father Corey? Well, I enjoyed this. This was it was a kind of a fun episode. Like I said, it was more comedic. And definitely, relationship part was big big part of it. But it was fun, and they played it well. Uh, there was a mention when uh, Spock is talking to Chapel about his relationship that he had bonded his pet Salot Echaya, which of course we met at the animated series. Yep. And then Chapel tells him that he, that she had a Malamute dog that may or may not have bitten a girl that insulted her. <laughs> right, right. Jimmy, so I like. Um... I like there's a, just a shot and nothing gets said in it, but there's a shot where Imbenga is going fishing and I know it's lure fishing, but mm-hmm. it's he, he like is it's 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 slow motion and it's just him and he's he's casting his line and it's it, it the uh, director uses a kind of heroic, you know, presentation of that yep. and it's and it's and there's music and it's just nice it's just a really nice moment and i like that and you know nothing happens it doesn't advance the plot they don't drag it out long but it's just nice and so i like that um later when they're putting the katras back because their ritual ability to do this has failed so they've sought a medical solution dr mbanga has uh, both spock and to bring in bio beds and he's put sea urchin paste on their foreheads and is also putting quartz crystals in the little he's sticking quartz crystals into the sea urchin paste and then they're they're they they go to activate them and Spock and T'Pring are both just screaming in agony and yeah. and yeah. Chapel turns to Mbinga and says they're going to neck pinch us for this aren't they <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right um, there, there's oh I forgot another really good uh Chapel line on um, how Mbenga was going to go and meet this 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 doctor who's known for non-invasive surgery, and she said she's cutting edge and not cutting into people. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> nice pun. Um, the question I had is when is the last li- now Lower Decks doesn't count because it's a comedy series, mm-hmm. but um, of the live action shows, when was the last time we got an actual comedy episode? Um, I mean, they started in the original series, you know, like with the Troubles mm-hmm. Tribbles and there were others as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, and and I can't really think of any comedy episodes at the top of my head in Next Gen. There were comedy episodes in Deep Space Nine, Definitely. often, often centering around the Ferengi. Right. Um, yep. I And I don't know. I don't. I can't remember any Voyager episodes I would count as comedy episodes. They had comedy bits, mm-hmm. um, like f- often involving the holodeck, like Fairhaven yes, or Captain say. Proton. Right. Yeah. But I don't know that I would consider any of those comedy episodes. 
Um, and then in Enterprise, I don't remember any comedy episodes. So yeah. I'm thinking it may have been since Deep Space Nine. Certainly, I mean, Picard has comedy moments, but not episodes. Um, Discovery is an emotional wasteland. It does not have comedy episodes. So it may be since DS9 that we, it, we it's been since we've had a live action comedy show, uh, episode of Star Trek. See, I, well, maybe a mud ep- one of the mud episodes, the, yeah, the Space maybe. Whales episode. Maybe. Yeah. That could Discovery be a little bit comedic. Maybe yeah. Of so. course, the, the, the Short Trek, the Short Trek mud episode was very much a comedic As was episode. The, the triples at Short Trek. If you yeah. want to, if you count, count you want to count short treks as Star Trek episode, but if you want to talk about full episodes, yeah, I mean, full yeah, episodes. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I think you could see the second mud episode could be considered a, a comedic episode in discovery. Um, yeah. Where he time travel kills people repeatedly. Yeah. Yeah. And there's yeah, a lot it was, of, it was, funny... it was played for great humor. Yeah. It was played for pretty good humor. Yeah. It Just is. the fact that he hid in a space whale. I mean, that yeah. right there. And it's even got a comedy ending where he, where we meet Stella. Yeah, exactly. So I, so I, so I would argue that. But okay. if, if you wanted to talk before New Trek, um, yeah, I, I I agree with you. I can't think of any since DS Nine. You know, like the baseball episode was definitely a comedic mm-hmm. episode. Things like that. Right. Right. Yeah. You get. Yeah. A lot of whether it's uh, Ferengi or Holodeck, definitely. Yeah. Hijinks. Uh, yeah, I don't think I remember any hijinks episodes in in Enterprise. Mm-hmm. It could be, but it's just not recalling it. All right. We have uh, feedback on our most recent episodes. We have our first feedback comes from episode 210, which was on the last episode, Memento Mori. Uh, Heather on our Discord community says, I had heard this was a Gorn episode, but then wondered why I hadn't seen any images of Gorn on the Internet, since I don't really actively avoid spoilers. Now I know why. Interesting approach. Now, now I'm really wondering if we will see them at all, if it was intended to build extra suspense. With Lon's super disturbing story in the first episode, now this, they're really making the Gorn out to be very creepy and sinister. And I thought the little girl imitating their clicking sound was well done. I thought so, too. And I suspect we are likely at some point, maybe not this season, but I suspect we are likely at some point to see the Gorn because they've they've already created cover canonically Mm -hmm. for the ability to see the Gorn. They've made it clear that no Captain Kirk's encounter in Arena was not the first contact with the Gorn. As Laon says, lots of people have seen the Gorn. They just haven't survived. Right. And right. so we can we can easily see the Gorn in this um, if uh, if the people don't survive or if there's another technology malfunction that prevents the capture of recorded images. Right. Right. Uh, on our episode 209 on the ghosts of Illyria, Brian sent an email. Could it be that after an encounter with NX-01, so the Archer's Enterprise, the Illyrians engineered some of their own to integrate into Earth society. If so, then conflicting loyalties could become the basis for an interesting plot twist later in this series. Well, indeed. And um, they, since we now know that they are open to multi-episode character arcs, we would need to use that fact in looking at what they did with the ending of, of Ghosts of Illyria, where Pike says, I'll go to bat for you. Okay, that's a promise to the audience. One day he is going to go to bat Mm -hmm. for number one based on her genetic status. So I would expect this to come up again. Yeah. Yeah. And and we we talked about the DNA screen. How did DNA screen not find it? You know, in the last when we talked about that particular episode. And I did say, you know, perhaps 
she was one that was genetically engineered to pass as human. Yeah. And so it's kind of saying the same thing that there are some Illyrians who, for whatever reason, have been genetically engineered to pass as human. One alien nucleotide is going to be a giveaway, though, in a genetic (laughs) screening. (laughs) Right, right. It's it's the space flu. (laughs) (laughs) So our last feedback is is from Dave via email, who's asking about actually the Orville. And I should introduce that the Orville Mm -hmm. is a TV series that originally aired on Fox in 2017 for two seasons. uh, Then hasn't been on air until it just returned this time on Hulu as uh, the Orville New Horizons, uh, because Fox has no idea of how to handle sci-fi shows and uh, the firefly and so uh mm-hmm. it's by seth mcfarlane of uh, who, who created it who's a big star trek fan and it's a it's an homage to star trek and there's a lot of specifically star trek next generation right yes. and a lot of people who worked on star trek next generation are actually involved in the production of the orville including uh, p- people like brandon braga andre bormanis uh folks like mm-hmm. that so dave asks please forgive me if this is something you've covered in the past but i'm relatively new to the podcast what are your thoughts on the orville and uh just as a way of starting the, you know introducing we actually the three of us talked about the orville in an episode of uh, another podcast, The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows, episode seven of that, uh, called The Secrets of Orville, The Orville, which was covering the first half season back in 2017. Mm-hmm. So we really haven't talked about it since, and maybe we could. But uh, what do you guys yeah. ha- have if you have thoughts on The Orville in the, the, briefly? Yeah, I, I enjoy The Orville. I, I think it's I think it's a really well done series. And, you know, one thing Dom and I discussed offline through uh, one of I think through the discord actually yeah. is that how it, it 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 started out very comedic and was pitched by Seth MacFarlane to Fox as a comedic take on Star Trek, yes, basically a satire. Really? And, yeah. But he his intention what he stated later in interviews was, no, he wanted to he he sold it as comedic to get it on Fox and then purposely drifted it to the more serious and now the new season having started uh, the first episode being out by the time we're recording this um it's much more serious yeah it's much more i dramatic. mean it is closer dramatic yeah. much closer to a tng type series than it was the, the comedic than lower decks i mean when it started out it was much more like lower decks yeah, it was, but now it's much more like TNG. It was like a live action Lower Decks, really, when it started. It was a lot of slapstick. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, I really, I've enjoyed it so far. I've enjoyed the first two seasons. I'm looking forward very much to this season yeah. to see where it goes from here. So, so it's been a while since I've seen any of the Orville. Um, I watched the first season, and I enjoyed it. I, I I didn't enjoy everything about it. Some of the humor was a little crude for yeah. my taste. Mm-hmm. Um, see Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but it overall it you know it it was it had it had fun aspects. It clearly it was clear to me that he was doing a fake out on the producers that he was he pitched mm-hmm. them with one series idea to get them to approve it. Really, what he wanted to do is he just wanted to do next gen again, and right. and he used the comedy parody aspect to get the show on the air. But it was clear he was going to be ditching that and was going to be mm-hmm. fading it out. Um, and that kind of, I kind of I understand why you would lie to network executives to get your show on the air, uh, because network executives, if you said I want to reduplicate next gen. 
they're going to see lawsuit written all over that yep. and not going to approve your series. Um, same way, if you're J. Michael Straczynski and you want to get your Babylon 5 Interstellar War show on the air, you don't tell the network executives, I want to do a show about politics and war in space. Hmm. Because they're not they're not sophisticated enough in sci-fi ways to understand that they're going to think too cerebral, too boring, not going to work, pass. Mm -hmm. And yep. so if you read J. Michael Straczynski's original pitch uh, document, which I've got, he's talking in it about, oh, there are going to be rumors of this war that could break out, but we're never actually going to it never actually will. But that's going to be one of the driving dramatic devices of our show is these rumors of a war. And it's like, no, he's totally lying. He's planning on doing a war and starting in season two. <laughs> right, um, yeah. This is just to get season one on the air. And mm -hmm. so I kind of understand that. But it doesn't mean that it isn't, to my mind, an awkward hybrid. Um, I kind of think if you're going to do comedy or drama, I mean, there are successful, you know, things that kind of straddle the middle. But as a sci-fi show, I kind of want to see comedy done pure, like Lower Decks, which has its dramatic moments, but it's clear this is a comedy show. Mm -hmm. Or I want to see, um, you know, a show that's, no, this is a drama show, even if it has comedy episodes. Um, and, the, and, and so, like, I liked Galaxy Quest or Lower Decks better as sci-fi comedy than I did The Orville. It kind of was it was a little crude for my tastes. And it also was it wasn't really committed to either being comedy or drama as a primary, at least in season one, which mm -hmm. is what I saw. Right. But it was it was it had enjoyable aspects, but it didn't it didn't ultimately grab me that much. Yeah. By, by the time season by this season, season three rolls around, it's they're committed to this new thing. But yeah, the DNA is going to, you know, the characters have built up a past and a history through two seasons already that includes this, some of this comedic stuff. And so it's, it's going to require the audience to really uh, accept that change. Mm -hmm. and that's yeah. it's dangerous. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting because we mentioned, we were talking about this right before recording that, there's characters, there's Yavit, the, the, the slug, who was n n voiced by the late Norm MacDonald. Yep. And he was extremely a comedic character, a really crude, yeah. extremely comedic character. And in this, at least this first episode, there's no comedic line to him whatsoever. I believe that Norm MacDonald did all his recording, his voice recording before he died. But yeah. um, there's no comedic aspect to his character in this first episode anyways. He's very straightforward, serious character. Right, right. So interesting. And thanks. Maybe we'll do an episode uh, in the future where we talk about the overall, like we did with the galaxy quest. We'll maybe do us like a special mm -hmm. 300 or 350 or something like that. We'll, we'll take an episode. All right. That should do it. We want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Ryan C, John T, Robert S, Lisa B and Joseph R. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. We would love to hear what you think of Spock Amuck. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com, or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. 
We'll be back next time and we'll be discussing the next new episode of Strange New Worlds called Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. Uh, Shades of Discovery's uh, episode title. Shades of Love Lift Us Up Where We Belong. (laughs) Oh gosh, now I get that in my head. Until then, Father Corey Stegan, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Tom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, it appears that hijinks are the most logical course of action. Mm-hmm.